0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Colin, also known as the Brooklyn Charlie Blogger And I welcome you this evening to the 61st episode of the Metcine Podcast We hope to be joined by Sam Maxwell shortly In the meantime, let me bring on my partner in podcasting crime Rich Spirago. hello sir Good evening Mike, how are you? Doing well, I want you to take a second to... Uh, Give your shameless plugs. Where can we find you? What are you doing? Et cetera.
0: Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I'm um, on Metsmerized Online, or affectionately called MMO. I'm um, on Twitter at MetzFan or MetFanRich, know, I, I go by both. And um, today I did an MMO piece uh, on Kirk Neuenheis because five years ago today, Kirk Neuenheis became the first Met to hit three home runs in a game at home, which is kind of interesting because I think about eight or nine players had done it before him in terms of three home runs in a game, but all those were on the road. So it took until 2015 from 1962 for someone to do that. And isn't it odd, Mike, that, you know, sometimes when records are set, it's by players that are a bit nondescript, you know, you would not think of Kirk Neuenheis as being the guy to do that. You know, maybe Dave Kingman, maybe Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, guys like that, but it was Kirk Neuenheis. But anyway, so thank you for the opportunity to plug that.
1: I, I think that's one of the biggest and best quirks of uh, baseball. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the nondescript that do the biggest things in baseball. Folks, mm-hmm. this, evening, <laughs> this evening's guest is a a a Jersey girl Transplanted in Arizona, a big Mets fan and even bigger fan of Lee Mazzilli. She's the founder of (laughs) Peak Marketing. She is Anna Bryce. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Hi.
2: Thank you so very much for uh, asking me to come back on. You know, I always like to talk Mets. Uh, It's one of my favorite subjects. So it's really great to be back here with you guys. And yes, I am in Arizona. And it's Arizona hot, but I'm not complaining.
1: We were speaking prior to the show's start uh, about temperatures versus, you mm-hmm. know, here in Arizona. Over there, you say it's about 115 or so. Uh, yes. And I say, as a New Yorker, and you know as a, a former East Coaster, that I will perhaps more readily deal with 115 degrees in arid. Then over here, 95 degrees, hazy, hot, humid.
2: It's really true. I am in 100% agreement with you. I have a hard time convincing my East Coast friends. You know, they always do the, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's a dry heat. But it really, really, truly is a dry heat. 115 here feels a lot better than 90 back east. That's all I can tell you. It's, it's, it's not comfortable, but it's almost comfortable, comparatively speaking. I mean, it's hot. You know, you can't get away from 115 and not call it hot. It's hot. But I will take this any day over hot and humid back east, and then snow. I just, I never want to see snow again. So I'm always happy. I will bear this three months so I don't have to see <laughs> snow ever again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> let's make no mistake. It's hot. It singes. That sun burns. Rich, I got a little yes. bit of experience yeah. with that type of heat. Uh, I spent a year and a half in Texas. I spent upwards of, uh, let's see, 140 days, let's call it, in the Mojave Desert. I get it. Oh, what's your? What, what do you feel about hazy, hot, and humid versus arid?
0: I don't like either one of them. Unlike Anna, I love snow. I love cold weather. (laughs) I prefer winter to summer. So to me, it's like I I step outside and it's 90 degrees and humid. I want to run back inside. When I'm in Vegas, Mm -hmm. which uh, my job takes me out there quite a bit, and you go to Vegas in July, you open the hotel door, and you step outside, it's 115, and although dry, it's like a blast furnace. So give me a blizzard any day. So I guess I, I neither agree nor disagree.
1: Well, Rich, you know what? You're sing, you sing my song, the older I get, the more I love winter. All right, folks, what do you say we talk a little bit of uh, COVID slash baseball? Anna, you're in a situation. Your state is in a dilemma. And Mario Cuomo, governor of New York State and the tri-state governor, said, pay attention, folks, because this is where you'll be in a couple of months from now. Uh, Things are escalating in Arizona. You know, we discussed before the show, tensions are also rising along with the temperature. So before we even get to baseball, what's the situation like like out there?
2: Yeah, you're right. We are literally the epicenter, right? We are worldwide the one um, spiking the most. And, you know, I'm at the point where, All I can do is laugh about it and say, well, we're, you know, we can't be number one in education because education, we're number 47 to 50 in every category, but we are number one in spiking in COVID. You know, I mean, I don't even know what to say. My personal opinion is uh, the governor closed things down too late, reopened too early. For me, that's a recipe to disaster. Uh, we didn't watch New York and what they were doing and how they were handling it. I think that was a mistake. I'm not in charge. I, now what's happening to the governor is he's getting it from all ends. He's getting it from people like me who was not happy with him from the beginning Now he's getting it from the people who were happy with him and are unhappy with him because he's had to reclose some things you may have seen nationally. There is a gym owner who has a bunch of gyms out here called mountainside fitness. And he out and out said, I'm not closing. And he took him to court. He did lose in court, but I spoke to someone who knows him and I feel for the guy. He's frustrated there's no guidelines. There's no consistent guidelines. Uh, bars are frustrated because they've been closed. You know, the the fitness guy is frustrated because casinos are open. So why can gyms be closed and casinos be open? I get that question, totally get it. It, it is confusing, right? So now the governor is literally getting it from all ends, from people who were not happy with him, like myself, and now the people who were previously happy with him and are no longer happy with him. So he literally has nobody happy with him right now. And all I can say is he, he brought it on himself. I don't know what else to say. If he had done the right thing from the beginning, we wouldn't be in this situation. That's how I feel. Believe me, there's not a lot. Not everybody agrees with me.
1: Arizona is not alone. Florida's out of control. Uh, yes. A couple of us as well. Uh, states with multiple teams, Florida, Texas being among them. So Rich, let's right. transition this. Let's transition this into uh, a baseball conversation. You know, sometimes even the best laid plans go awry. Here we are one week into summer camp. Uh, and baseball is finding out the hard way that coronavirus still rules the day. Uh, We have some confirmed cases uh, uh, on teams, uh, staff, uh, and, you know, if you want to play with numbers, Kansas City has four positive tests already. Uh, Let's scale it down to 30-man rosters. 40 divided by 30 is 13% scale that roster down to 26 people, 4 divided by 26 is 15% of the roster test positive. Again, that's playing with numbers. You can torture numbers to make them say anything you want. So, Rich, uh, let's get started uh, with the baseball convo.
0: Well, you know, the whole COVID thing, you could slice and dice this in a lot of different ways and come up with a lot of different stories. So looking at the, and I use this term very lightly and in quotes, looking at the positives, right? So, and I don't mean testing positive. So about 1.8% of major league players and staff have tested positive, which is a low number. It is a low number, and that's a good thing. Now, um, then there's the risk, though, of course, that you have, even if you have 1.8% of positive tests, These people, perhaps, you don't know when they test positive or anything like that. Perhaps they've been around others, and you don't know how that spread could be. So you have that. And then you have guys opting out. You know, we all know the names. You know, we all know the big names anyway. You know, guys like Nick Marcakis, David Price, you know, guys like that. Uh, Now Aroldis Chapman has come down with a positive test. So, you're seeing it pop up here and there. The 1.8 is really good, right? That that's good. But on the other hand, it's there. It, it's not eradicated from baseball. It could spread. You have guys, you know, having tested positive. Freddie Freeman um, and Rollie Chapman, as I said, and then you just don't know where this whole thing is going to go. So, and then you think about, you know, these guys traveling together. You think about staff and players traveling together. Uh, yes, there are rules about you're supposed to stay in your hotel, no Ubers, nothing like that, but how enforceable is that? So bottom line, Mike, is this. The bottom line is the whole thing is a big question mark. It, you know, I'm not ready to say, like I read all these doom and gloom columns and some people are saying that, well, you know, a lot of these high-paid players are going to start opting out. They're, they're going to say, I don't need this nonsense. You know, I, I've made $200 million in my career. I'm sitting this one out, see you in February. Some people are saying that will happen on a big scale. Others, uh, when you hear from players, are saying, no, I want to play. I'm a baseball player. I want to play. The, the whole thing to me, and I'm interested in both your opinions, big question mark. I don't think you could say the whole thing is going you know, to turn to a pile of crap. I don't think you could say that it's going to go off without a hitch. I think you just don't know that this whole thing is undefined and – they're going forward, you know, less than a week from now, there will be exhibition games. They're going forward. And I don't know what else to say other than we just have to put the right protocols in place, hope that players, quote, unquote, behave themselves and hope for the best. But I think if anybody says one or the other, I don't see how you could say one or the other. I, I don't. But if, if either of you have a stronger opinion, let me know.
1: Take your way on
2: I I really agree with you. I don't know that any of us know what's going to happen. And this goes for all the leagues, right? The NBA is starting at around the same time, and the NHL is starting, I think, August 1st, something like that. I think this is really going to be a wait and see. Like, we have to try it. And see what happens I I just don't know that we know what's going to happen I agree with you about the protocols look all of I I know what I'm doing I'm pretty much staying in I'm not going out to dinner and to restaurants I'm going out to go to the grocery stores I wear a mask when I go into the grocery stores I do takeout food that about covers what i've been doing i work at home all my meetings are at home i'm trying to do my part i do hope the players do that like you were saying no ubers stay in your room look that's going to be boring as heck right it's going to be boring this is boring i went to sedona last weekend by myself because my husband said you know what you need to get away you need a break And I literally saw nobody. I hiked and I was on trails where I saw nobody. I did takeout food, I went back to the condo, and that was it. I really made sure that I wasn't out and about with people. And that's what these players are gonna have to do. It's gonna be boring, right, to be in a hotel room and not leave and not take an Uber to go out to a nice steak dinner. It's gonna be boring. I feel like if they care about the brand MLB and okay so that's the marketing part of me talking but if they care about the brand and their future employment and and the viability of this brand and anybody's excitement for coming back next year they have to do their part this year. It stinks. It's boring. I want to go back and see my parents back east. I already have missed two trips that I would have gone on and can't. It stinks. But what can I do? And I just feel like we all have to do that.
1: And that's coming from Arizona, folks. Here on the east coast, you know, rich, obviously Connecticut is just one step ahead of New York State as far as uh, the gradual phasing and reopening. Of uh, 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 society, so to say. Uh, so things are while, while things are you know becoming more relaxed here, and, and are you know they're they're jumping into the fire as we speak.
2: Right, to right. The, We've to, had restaurants open, and and now some are reclosed. You know, right. Which to me is worse.
1: But Rich, to address your scenarios, you know, let let's point to the different conditions in different countries. Uh, the Korean Baseball Organization, European Soccer Slash Football. And and I think the difference is between here and, say, there, is here we lack a a comprehensive national plan of defense. Nobody's on the same page of music. Uh, And that's unfortunate. So there is a great deal of uncertainty that Major League Baseball players, uh, executives, personnel, staff, you name it, they're all be they they will all be in contract So uh, again, I'll say it. Sometimes even the best laid plans go awry. I I, I wish everyone you know, was on the same page of music, but we're just not. We're just not, and, and that opens up the door, uh, increases the odds of the unknown getting involved than than otherwise. I believe we're joined by Sam Maxwell, the COO of this operation. Hello, oh, okay.
3: sir. What's up? Hi really. Sam. Hi everybody. Um This hello. is Sam Maxwell. I'm always coming in on location somewhere, and tonight, uh, my my work that kind of uh, just brings me everywhere. I, I'm making my way upstate, so I figured I'd keep the, one of these apps on, and, and now I'm currently in Orange Town, New York, uh, kind of towing the uh, the New Jersey New York border. So always always a play? nice tri-state. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's, that's my old neck of the woods. I grew up in Ringwood, New Jersey, so that's my old neck of the woods. Ah, yes,
3: Ringwood, one of 537 yes. munis- separate municipalities in New Jersey. It's it's exactly. quite the it's quite it's just basically small town America is New is New Jersey in many ways.
1: Right, Sam, uh,
2: exactly.
1: You, you have great timing with just wrapping up uh, the first go around, round one, uh, and it would be your turn. Uh, we've spoke we've spoken how arizona is spiking meanwhile here over here on east and you know we're uh we're uh, turning a corner uh in a positive direction uh, so baseball is underway and we're one week into summer camp uh, and we have positive tests from players and and team personnel uh things of that nature some players are opting out you know some more uh notable than others the uh, Posey, et cetera. So, you know, I'll say for the third time sometimes even the best laid plans go awry. So, what say you, Sam?
3: Well, I think that's interesting because one of the things that kind of leads me to jobs such as Postmates and, and Lyft is the idea that there is no plan, that somebody else is ordering the food or or the ride and bringing me somewhere else. Uh, and And it kind of helps in in the regard to just remind you that life you can plan like you just you can like you just said you know you can plan as much as you want and something is going to take those plans off course a bit and you just need to adjust uh, somehow some way even if that means somebody's taking you to philadelphia (laughs) so um you know in terms of what's going on here they're going to keep trying it seems like you know they're Unless it like really blows up in their face, and, and so far it's trickling. There's there's no Niagara Falls yet, but you know you gotta you gotta keep watching the numbers, uh, keep the the regulations intact, and um, we'll see what's what. I mean, as of right now, I, I Fox has a big advertisement in time in uh, Times Square saying baseball is back, so they are planning on getting this thing underway. And they've already put some, some advertising money into it. So we shall see how the whole thing unfolds. But uh, we're going to find out real quickly. It's, it's pretty remarkable how close we are to potentially having baseball back.
1: Correct. And unless there's any objections, I will transition this conversation over to Mets baseball. Going once.
3: Sounds going good. Going twice.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Let's meet the Mets. Let's take it from the top. Sale of the Mets ownership: present versus future. There's one report out there that there's seven pre-approved bidders out there. I don't know how true right. that is, but Steve Cohen seems to be the strongest bidder uh, amongst anyone mentioned thus far. And there's a report out there that he made a bid two million, uh, excuse me, two billion for the team and two billion for S and Y. So any and all observations. I'll leave it up to you, Rich. I'll get started with you first, please.
0: Yeah, well, you know what I saw today was that Steve Cohen's bid seems to be two separate business entities. You know, he's bidding two billion for the Mets, two billion for SNY. I guess that would give the Wilpons the option to not sell SNY, but if they do decide they want to, you know, he could be he could make quite a haul here. He could basically own the whole thing. But he's get, trying to give them the option is what it seems like. Um, the Also, what I saw today is the original report that, uh, what do they call them, uh, ALO or J-Rod, whatever it is, that they bid $1.78 billion.
3: <laughs> and, but actually, love it. Love it.
0: Um, so right. so um, that they bid $1.78, but then that was corrected, that they also bid $2 billion just for the Mets. So – looked at on its face, and I don't know what Harris Blitzer, uh, nobody really talks about them, although they are powerhouses. I mean, they own the 76ers and the Devils, so whatever they're bidding, I don't know then the other four. I'm not even sure that anybody really knows who the other four are, um, if there are, in fact, seven. So, so let's work with what we know. We know, Harris Blitzer, that they are into this. You know, They, they, they own two sports teams. They're, they're known to want the Mets. They are in the bidding. We don't know what their number is. We know that J. Rod and Alo, you know, amongst others, you know, they have the Florida Panthers owner, the Vitamin Water uh, mogul. Um, that group is in it two billion for the Mets. Steve Cohen's in it two billion with a separate offer for for SNY. <clears throat> so, what does it all mean? Well, to me. You know, then you heard, or let me throw this in. It, it, you probably saw this earlier this week that the uh, Wilpons apparently would rather sell to uh, the A Rod group than, than Steve Cohen, which is very odd because Cohen, I believe, owns 8% of the team right now. So um, I th- found that to be a bit strange. So who knows how this is going to play out? If you look at just brutal, plain logic, here's what you do know you know that Steve Cohen's buying power supersedes the others, it, it just does and that if the valuation of the Mets remains at a point where he wants it, I think he will get it. I think he's doing what smart business people do. You know, he's in on the bidding. He's going to let the market play itself out and see when the music stops. You know, if the music stops at $2.5 billion and he thinks that that's a worthwhile investment, I'll go $2.6 billion, it's mine, everybody go away. Or if it stops at 2.8. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not doing that. I, you know, The New York Mets are not worth two-point, and I'm walking away. Then somebody else gets it. But I think, like you said, Mike, I think he's in the driver's seat um, simply because of his resources. I think it's his to lose. And, um, and my assumption is that he'll – it's like playing poker. You know, He'll keep calling the bet, calling the bet, calling the bet. And when finally he thinks uh, – if he thinks it gets to the point of being ridiculous, he might step out, but I don't really think that's going to happen – Long way of saying I think the next owner will be Steve Cohen and his group. Um, I, for one, would be a bit disappointed in that. I mean, I love his resources coming to the Mets. I love his, you know, uh, stop-at-nothing-to-win attitude. I love that stuff, and that would be great. There's just something about A-Rod and his background and, um, you know, his knowledge of the game and all of that and, and his New York roots, you know, being a Mets fan growing up. Uh, for some reason, maybe it's more emotional than logical, I still kinda of hope that he ends up with it, but uh but I do think it'll be Steve
1: Cohen. Anna, your opinions, but before I throw it to you, I want to season this with a little salt and pepper. You know, Nelson Doubleday, he felt like he got duped. And the Wilpons have blown negotiations before. Mike Mike oh, excuse me, Mark Einhorn being one example. So it's not like they they haven't been down this path before where they start negotiations and somewhere along the line they just blow up. So you just your general observation. Yes,
2: yeah, I am in agreement that I think Steve Cohen and his group have the most buying power, and for me that's the most concern. Like I would hate to see a group, in, and you know, I mean we're talking about multimillionaires and billionaires. So when I say quote unquote stringing money together. It's not exactly that, right? But I want an owner who wants a winner and who wants to put a winner on the field every day. Um, that's what the Yankees owners do, and and I've told you guys this before. When I called the Mets, and I got the call back from David Newman, you know, the VP of marketing. I said to him, you know, the Yankees put on a a winner, you know, put on a a field of winners every year. And he was like, well, we don't like to compare ourselves to the Yankees. Yeah, well, you know, of course not. Um, I definitely want someone with that attitude that has enough resources to put a winner on. So I feel like Cohen and his group are the one that can do that. I don't know about this very last-minute one that's hoping to enter the fray on deadline day, C.K. McHorter. Um, you know, he's a real young guy. That actually would be interesting, but I don't know what their resources are compared to, say, Cohen. I'm not a fan of A-Rod. I do not want him as my owner. I would I would really be So bummed out by that. Um, I can't even stand to hear him say it on a Sunday night telecast about how he's always dreamed of being a Met. Like even that ticks me off. And I'm always screaming at the television every time he says that. Um, I just don't like him. I mean, obviously, he's a Hall of Fame player. Obviously he was a really great player. I don't like him. I don't like his cheating, his methods, his (laughs) just everything. Um, And all of a sudden, he's become the hero of MLB, like as if nothing's happened these past 10 years. Um, You know, my husband, who knows nothing about baseball, every time he hears A-Rod says, Um. I cannot believe that this guy is like, the toast of the town where it comes to Major League Baseball, right? He works for Fox Sports. He works for ESPN. I, I personally don't even want to see him on those uh, channels. I I literally can't stand watching him, listening to him, seeing him. So I don't want him as my owner.
1: Amazing. Sam, pun um, intended. Where to,
3: where to begin? Well, I think <laughs> it, there's so many different things that ignite just uh, hearing what she's talking about, and I have to start with David Newman. They might like to say... This is where it's just like the entire Wilpon uh, uh, structure is just very um, non-transparent, but, but also just like you can see right through it. You, you understand yes. what I'm saying? They're not transparent, but you just see right through them. Number one... The biggest, one of the biggest problems that I think the Will as an ownership group have always had is looking at themselves in the idea of the idea that they're the, the second tier to the Yankees in the entire thing. If they had just the right. entire time tried to be the Mets, then, uh, then maybe things would be a little bit better. And we, you know, we got, well, just like everybody always complains about City Field in terms of like little, little details that have to do with how much this franchise means to the city, not just us, the city. Um, and so starting with that and, and going to, you know, I'm kind of in the middle with the a thing. And I, I think with Steve Cohen, like, I understand where everybody's coming from, why he's the, not only the front loader, but, but seems to be the Met fan's favorite, uh, uh, that they really want to go behind it. And, and a lot of people are talking about the, some of the ways that his character on Billions that's based off of him works and and some people have brought up the ethics issue uh, the fact that he has been investigated for insider trading um but going to what what rich was saying about a rod and his background as a fan which was also uh, uh the counterpoint for for anna that that it sickens her um but let's not forget how much it sounds like this is this is a passion play for steve cohen he is a giant Mets fan, has always been. His mother is a giant Mets fan. And so I, I think you have to think about it, even if he doesn't necessarily have the same baseball acumen that Arod has, you have to also consider that type of, of, of side that you're considering with Arod for the Steve Cohen side of things too. And he has more money than, than them. So that you know, right? Uh, just and, and he seems to. So, uh, and mind you, A. Rod's done a good job from the business side of things, and he, you know, he's been able to leverage himself onto shows like Shark Tank and and whatnot. And you see him on CNBC all the time in general. And you see him marketing specific like business type of of products and everything. Uh, but this is Steve Cohen who has fourteen billion dollars at his disposal and is a hedge fund manager. I also heard somebody say how ironic it would be if. The thing that got the Mets like in serious deep shit was a a you know a hedge fund manager manager but technically a, a fake hedge fund manager, and that it would be somebody like Steve Cohen to help them get out of the Mets and bring some some acclaim finally
1: right'm a traditionalist
3: right Go
1: ahead. Uh, I'm a traditionalist, and whoever buys the mets I'm hoping that they hire a qualified a a, a very smart person and and put them in the position of president of baseball operations and let that person uh, be the buffer between operations and ownership. You know, ownership hands down their mandate. This is exactly what I want. The president's job then is to, you know, uh, accomplish that mission. But it's up to him. The power is delegated to him to hire the general manager and oversee all baseball operations. That's what I want. I'm less interested with who buys it as to how he's going to structure the team moving forward because the way that we know the have run their front office, we've heard the term before, that, that collegial atmosphere that they maintain in the front office has to stop. I want ownership out of the picture. You know, it may have worked for right. some through history, not all. Certainly not most. Again, that's the, the traditionalist in me speaking. Hire a president of baseball operations. Let him or her hire the general manager, and such, so on and so on. Do this the right way, please. I'm sick of the way they've run we, the organization. We
2: don't. Yeah, and we don't need a Jerry Jones of the MLB. We just exactly.
1: Need. Exactly. You know, he just circumvents the whole power of the the chain of command. Uh, I I don't need that anymore, and that's exactly what we have with the Wilpon. Uh, Let's move on. Brody Van Wagenen, is he on the hot seat? He's coming off a winning season. I guess that's the best we can say, is it or not? Rich?
0: He has to be, um, for reasons of the change in ownership. You know, you see it. You know, we talked about this last time when um, when Van Wagenen took over. We were talking about would he do something in the manager's office. Well, we saw that, right? We saw what happened. Um, he had Mickey Calloway for a year. Now, granted, Calloway, um, he, you know, Mickey Calloway was a guy who maybe wasn't over his head, but he did post an 86-76 and 76 record. It's just normal. What I'm saying is it's just normal When there's a change to want to bring in your own people so the the van wagon in position you know is accountable to ownership ownership might want their own guy in there and that not even necessarily would be directed at brody it would just be life that's just the way life is in any business you know typically when there's a change at the top they want to bring in their lieutenant so steve cohen he may have somebody that he has in mind that you know he would like to have in that position, and that's the way it's going to be. Now, because he's been around, you know, maybe he's comfortable with Brody. We don't know that if there's any kind of a relationship there. Um, if it's the A-Rod group, you know, maybe A-Rod and, and, and company would have, They might have somebody in mind, or maybe they say, you know what, Brody, the team is the team is a pretty good team. They were 86 and 76 last year. And you know, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna keep you. It's one of those things again, Mike, where we don't know, but at the same time, if you if history best predicts the future, this is the way it works. When there's a change, they typically bring in their own person. You know, again, we saw Brody did after a year; he was he was done with with Mickey for whatever the reasons. Brought in his guy. Happens all literally all the time in any business in America. So. I think Brody's on the hot seat for that reason, the change in ownership, more than anything else. If there was a continuity of ownership going on, I would say, you know, he's gutted the farm a little bit, but let's keep a couple things in mind. While he has gutted the farm, and yes, we know the Diaz trade is bad, and at least it's bad right now, um, he also has drafted very well, you know, the Mets, of course he and his lieutenants, the Mets are getting a lot of kudos from people for the way they've been conducting the draft the last couple of years. Granted, their prospects are in the lower levels, but they have restocked. Um, the team, like I said, was 86 and 76 last year. They certainly look good on paper going in this year. So I wouldn't say on merit Brody should necessarily be in the hot seat, but I do think the change of ownership just as a natural course of things puts him on the
1: hot seat. I don't Steve Cohen is already a small percentage owner of the Mets. He should be, I think, somewhat familiar with BBW. There's two right. years of draft six and one season of a winning record to work with. Is that enough of a resume to keep him in the running?
2: Right. It probably is. Likely it is. And I agree with what was just said is I think because of the uncertainty for this year um, short season I, I don't think anybody's going to be really judged the way we would normally judge someone over a 162 game season versus a 60 game season like what's it going to do for our new manager uh, how is he going to be judged I mean obviously if we do well and we go go far that's going to be great but how do we really judge that because it's 60 games, you know? Um, So I agree. I think Brody is probably only on the hot seat because of the sale and the way companies do things. Like, Like he just said, every company in America does this, right? They buy a company and then they replace people that are there with their own people. I really do agree that I think that's his biggest, quote-unquote, danger with his job right now. And I just don't know how we could judge him by, like, let's just say we do poorly this year. Can we really judge him by a bad season that's 60 games? I mean, I guess we can, but... You know, if we went by 60 games last year, he would have been fired. We didn't heat up until uh, right after the All-Star game. And we went on an absolute tear. Now, if we have that kind of a 60-game season, that'd be fabulous. But... I just think it's going to be hard to judge anybody on this 60. It's almost like everything's on hold. Like we have the season, we see what happens and then we go to next year and that's a real test. Sam,
3: pick it up. Well, first of all, just like carrying over with like last year, it's interesting because we did go on an absolute tear, but at the same time, the difference between a 2015 and a 2016, other than, other than just the playoffs, well, these lit, the last game against the Nationals that weekend, uh, which in 2015 it ends with, you know, three home runs in a row and we win five to two. This time we fall a little flat of the comeback and it's four to three. And then you think of, of that, that – uh, You know, if we're comparing it to the stretch uh, against the Nationals in 2015, last year we had that game that we were like up nine to three, and then they lost ten to nine or something like that uh, in the ninth inning. So those those were the differences, and that's one of the reasons why Mickey just couldn't hold on to his job, even with 86 wins, is because even during that push, there was just those glimpses of what really faltered us in June of both years that he was, he was coach. But going to the BBW uh, uh, part, I completely agree with Rich in saying that it's natural to want your own people. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I was hearing uh, Ken Singleton on the radio earlier, former Met, uh, and he was saying, you know, he was thinking of possibly retiring this year and uh, from the, the broadcast booth, uh, and there's no way he's going to do that because, you know, he doesn't want to let 2020 be in control. Uh, the way it has been. So um, I think with BBW going to another thing about WFAN, he was on earlier in the week with Evan, and I heard a caller the next day say that he sounded more comfortable in just the conversation between Evan uh, than he did that first year. And I'd have to agree with them. So, you know, I I think that nobody's going to necessarily be judged on this year. And most likely if there is an ownership group going into 2021, a new ownership group, going into 2021, then BBW probably gets 2021 to show his merit. But Mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest leash he has.
1: Well, a lot of that depends on the players. So let's talk about some of them. Uh, Right now, the rage of camp is Yoan Cespedes. Uh, Robinson Cano, due to Major Major League Baseball's disclosure policy, his whereabouts are unknown. Uh, and then we'll get into Keith Anderson's statements uh, very shortly. But first, you want to this? Are you down with the rage? And uh, how do you feel about this non-disclosure policy uh, and the situation involving Robinson know Rich?
0: Well, with Cespedes, um, I feel like I'm saying this a lot in the podcast tonight. But again, it's another unknown because. He hasn't played a Major League Baseball game in two years. The last time he played a game was in the first game of the, uh, like we talked about it a few podcasts ago, first game after the All Star break. Mets played the Yankees. I believe it might have been July 20th ish. So we're pretty much coming up to the day of two years that he's on a Major League field. Now, uh, does he look good in summer camp? He does. You know, you, you watch the Facebook Live, you watch that. He's, he's hitting balls, you know, miles, and that's great. Um, he hasn't been in game competition yet, so that's the next big marker for him. Let's see how he does in a game when they're playing another team and that other team is trying to get him out. So that's the next big marker as I see it. Uh, then there's the other question, can he play the outfield? Well, does he even have to with the D8? So don't know about that. So I guess my bottom line on Cespedes is I'm hopeful, uh, he's, an, he's an absolute game-changer. We saw it in 2015. He's an absolute force on the field. What are we going to get from Cesspitus? What version of Cesspitus are we going to get? I don't know. We just have to let these markers happen as we go and kind of make judgments along the way. I think it's way too soon to do it now. And then um, with regard to, to the privacy thing, I mean, you know, we all do it. That's HIPAA, right? So um, everybody's aware of, that, aware of that where your confidential medical records are to be confidential unless you choose to disclose them. That's why every time we go to the doctor, we have to sign those forms. So um, baseball has law. Baseball has to abide by that. Um, so just like, you know, none of us, our doctors can't say, you know, hey, I treated Mike for blah, blah. You know, they, they can't say that Robinson Cano or anybody else has XYZ thing unless Robinson Cano or anyone else you know, agrees to that. So it, it's just the way it is. It's kind of wild how people speculate, you know, um, of course they're going to with COVID being such a big thing, but um, yeah, but I, but that's just the way it is. I think it, it's, um, they are, these are people in the public eye and we are fans and we want to know, but we all have to rein that in a bit because we can't know, you know, there's a big law called HIPAA that, that doesn't allow us to know.
1: The Lee Mazzilli fan from Arizona, what say you?
2: <laughs> yeah. I I've, I have a feeling and maybe I'm being overly optimistic, I think Cespedes is gonna be good. I just feel like there's too much at stake for him. I think he's I think he's gonna be good. I I'm really basing it on nothing because as Rich just said, he hasn't played in two years. And, you know, it was funny. While I was reading up on him this week, um, you know, it occurs to me that he's been around now since the middle of, you know, 2015. And I can't wrap my head around the fact that he has been on this team for 2015, and I feel like I barely remember him because it has been two full years since he's been on a baseball field. I feel like he has too much at stake that he's going to come up big. I hope he does. I hope he comes up as big as he did exactly five years ago. You know, he was a huge part of us getting to the World Series. So I really, really do hope it happens. And – You know, again, the non-disclosure, I I think Rich has hit it on the head. You know, obviously, we want to know. I kind of wish the player, if he does have something going on, would just say it. But I also understand how it is in New York, and especially how hard fans have been on um, Cano, you know, since he's arrived, that I, I guess I understand why he would try to keep any, you know, any of this information private. So... It, this year is just going to be one of those years that we are really just going to trudge along and hopefully, hopefully it goes our way and hopefully, you know, we don't have any really bad illnesses and we can get through this and just get to 2021. That's kind of where I'm at. I want, I want baseball. I want it to happen. I miss it. And I'm looking forward to 2021.
1: Well said,
2: Sam.
0: I think Sam may have temporarily dropped off.
1: Okay. No, Sam. Anna, again, well said. Uh, let's get to 2021 as safely and as humanely as possible. Interesting. Right. Also interesting, Keith Fernandez, shades of 1986 he sees out of this potential Mets lineup. Is this man looking out of – orange and blue tainted glasses rich
0: not really i mean i th- this is a damn good lineup i mean let's think about that you know you've got pete alonzo uh, last year's rookie of the year 53 home runs you've got him you've got jeff mcneil who's a hell of a hitter you know Ahmed rosario who is on the come i mean the guy is you know he's going to be 24 this year uh the guy's Definitely, you know he had a great second half last year. You know, third base, you've got you no know, JD Davis, you've got options there. You've got you know, maybe Cano as DH. You've got but you know, it's JD Davis. You've got Brandon Nimmo. You've got Michael Conforto, Wilson Ramos. They have a stacked lineup. So in terms of offense, I mean, they don't have the athleticism the '86 team did. You know, you think about that. They had you know strawberry stealing bases. You had Dykes. You had Wilson. You had uh, all those guys, you know, who, ha- who maybe were better defenders and were better all-around athletes. But in terms of what they could do with the bat, maybe this team isn't quite as good as the 86 because, again, for that reason, not quite as athletic. But I don't think Keith is way off either. I, I don't think it's, it's pure folly to-, to draw a comparison because this team is stacked. Now, on the other hand, I think the rotation is thin, Right. The 86 team wasn't then they had, they had excellent starters. So I think that's where, um, I don't think Keith was talking about the pitching, but I think that's where the, the comparison would fall off pretty quickly. But when I look at this lineup and the bench, again, I don't think he's that far off. I I think it's 86 light kind of, uh, yeah. So so again, I, I think Keith has something there.
1: I'm not going to disagree with you, Rich. Uh, there is something to what he says. I agree with you. Uh, we're going to get into a brief discussion about Jeff McNeil, but, you know, Peter Alonzo, if he can come somewhere close to what he did last season, that would be nice. If Ioannis is healthy, that would be nice. If Conforto matures and elevates his game, that would be nice. I think Wilson Ramos, if anyone, will benefit the most at a 60-game schedule. Uh, he might turn out to be a monster in the in a short term. And, and a modified season, as opposed to 162-game season. Uh, and then Robinson-Badeau right now is a question mark, and, you know, after last year's performance, there's question marks there. J.D. Davis continues to prove his naysayers wrong. So, uh, and Ahmed Rosario, obviously, I think he's headed towards uh, bigger and better days. Uh, I'm confident of that. So, Anna, what say you?
2: Yes, I... I agree with both of you, and I don't think Keith Hernandez is looking at this through, you know, orange and blue glasses because I find our broadcast team just simply doesn't do that. After listening to other broadcast teams, because I no longer live in New York, I cannot express to you how our broadcasters do not play homerism, right? They don't do the homer thing. Whereas when you listen to some of these other booths, oh my God, I want to kill myself because I cannot listen to them being homers. To be honest with you, the D-back games, I've stopped watching because I can't listen to their broadcast booth and how much of a homer they are, you know? Uh, So I don't think Keith is doing that. I think this team is one of those teams that is really fun to watch, right? It's a bunch of young guys. They're nice. They're fun. They're good. They have a lot of potential. I'm trying to think of other teams to compare them to. I hate to compare them to a Yankee team, but I'm going to compare them to a Yankee team. Remember in the beginning of their dynasty where they had like. Scott Brocious, and, um, you know, Derek Jeter, Tito Marti- Tino Martinez, Bernie in the outfield. Um, I guess it was Joe Girardi catching. Um, like, those guy. oh, Paul O'Neill. Those guys were – again, they were the Yankees, so I was never, quote, unquote, rooting for them. But they were like a nice bunch of guys that you, that you could root for considering it was the Yankees. This team is a nice bunch of guys that have a lot of potential. We've had other teams like this. I'm trying to remember what year it was. It might have been that year that we just got killed, killed, killed with injuries, but it was like such a nice, fun team to root for. So I would say that was about 2009. Um, So that's how I feel about this team is that they really have so much potential so I can absolutely see what Keith is saying and you're right he wasn't breaking it down with uh, the pitchers he was breaking it down with the lineup but I think we can be really good um, for an extended period of time I really do so Sam the question
1: was is Keith Hernandez looking at life through orange and blue tainted glasses he compared uh, this year's potential lineup uh, to the 1986 lineup. So what do you say?
3: The lineup is rather long. I mean, when you look at it and you look at, you know, how transformative Cespedes was in 2015 and then you compare it and contrast it to what could and let's include or not include Johanna Cespedes in this, um, it's rather deep. Um, I, I, I guess if you want to break it down in terms of, you know, you kind of had Lenny and Mookie uh, platooning in center, uh, you know, and, and McNeil's kind of spunky and, and, and frisky the way those two are. Um, you know, even, even though he's, he's, he's got all this pop, kind of like Strawberry, uh, you know, he's more of a well-rounded hitter Pete Alonso is than uh, you would think he would be. Um, and I think he staved off uh, pretty solidly. Their, their adjustments, he adjusted well to their adjustments last year. Um, and then, I mean, you keep going, and all of a sudden you see Wilson Ramos's name getting closer to the to the bottom. And although he, you know, is not that good defensively, hasn't been as good as what you would like maybe if we get new ownership uh, uh, <laughs> free agency uh, out there with catcher, um, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I wish I had the lineup in front of me. I'm driving right now, so I can't. It, take a look at it exactly but with the dh especially if you're talking about ahmed rosario being in the nine hole uh who at some point in the second half over a 60 period a 60 day ga- a 60 game period went something along the lines of, of like 337 hit something along the lines of 337 um in fact if any of you can pull those numbers up of what uh, 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 ahmed rosario hit in the second half that would be interesting thinking about what we have ahead of ourselves with this 60-game process. Um, and, yeah, you know, so I, I don't – I think I think you were talking, Anna, about the 2008 team because uh, that team was a lot of fun, even if Scott Schoenweitz and, and Louis Ayala, those types, uh, who were trying to, to battle through the fact that we had all those bullpen injuries. Um, right. It just, they, they just couldn't happen. Uh, 2009 is one of the – my least favorite teams of all time uh, mm-hmm. and maybe 1984 to an extent. And I know they had some injury issues down the stretch as well. It was looking really good up until the middle of the year. And they had some injury issues, even though they were fun all around, but they still missed the playoffs uh, against the Cubs. So th- that I can see in some fashion, just based off of how long the lineup is now, uh, which makes you really think going back to, to what I was saying about last year and, and the fact that we missed the playoffs, because it, that, it really, it, it was a special year without the playoffs, but it really could have been something else. And, and that's the potential the lineup uh, has is something special.
1: Rich, let's try to get to this next question rather quickly. Uh, and this is something I don't contemplate. I don't contemplate such things. And this is uh, completely opposite of what we opened the show with saying, you know, sometimes it's uh the, uh, the, the, the less heard of players out there who do outrageous things in baseball, you know, uh, the scuttlebutt in the media now, bait I call it, is Jeff McNeil and his potential to hit 400 in the 60-game season. I will throw this out there. George Brett, 1980. He first touched 400 on August 17th and last touched 400 on September 19th. Tony Gwynn, 1994, last touched. 400, game number 30 of the season, didn't touch 400 again. Make of it what you will, uh, Rich.
0: Well, obviously the short season could mean, you know, might give anyone a better chance to to hit 400. But, you know, you just put some things in really good context, Mike. It's very difficult to do, obviously. And um, it's a tall order even in a short season, and I think it's fine. And I think it's fine during summer camp, to, summer camp or spring training, whatever you want to call it, to speculate about that. Sure, you know maybe someone can in a short season. Maybe that person is Jeff McNeil. Uh, so it's fun to, to you know, to, to chit chat about. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, my final comment on it would be as relates to McNeil. I I, I love the guy. I have one little concern with Jeff McNeil, and that is he did hit some more home runs last year, and I'm worried that he's going to become pole-happy and get away from being the hitter he was when he first came up. Now, I know he's only been in the big leagues a year and a half, but I saw a little less of him going the opposite way, a little more length on the swing, a little more trying to pull for power. Yes, he did hit some more home runs, but to me, uh, those things generally don't work in sync. You know, When you're hitting more home runs, generally speaking, you're not also going to hit 400. So I think it's fun to talk about. I think in anybody's case, it's unlikely, and I think Jeff McNeil is just like anybody else. I think it's pretty
3: unlikely.
1: Know, that's what fans do. May we I, may I Mike, like, right?
0: Mike? if
3: yeah, you real, ahead, Mike, sorry, just real quick about Jeff McNeil. He, it's interesting. Like, what I'm hoping is that he finds some good proper balance, so he's not hitting in the in you know the 200s uh, as he technically was in the second half when he was hitting more, more home runs. But the one thing I point to is the fact that we were winning more games. And he was helping us to win more games the way he was hitting. So that, that's really what I want to say about that, because I have thought about it myself, too, and I think that's combined with those thoughts regarding that I think he can find a proper balance, number one, and number two, that it did come during the more successful period of the year, even if the bullpen was a big reason why we weren't successful in the first place i, I still think that that uh, Jeff McNeil knows what he's doing out there and, and if there's anybody who can adjust to whatever he needs to, I think it's that guy I, I really think he's he's a smart hitter
1: and'll the word on McNeil and then we'll move on to number sixty one
2: yeah i um i hadn't heard this talk, so this was the first I had heard about it, but
3: yeah, my I mistake. think it's those unlikely. Are local,
1: those are local I'm sorry, those are local stories. Uh, my oh. mistake really send that out to you. So yeah, you know, I can Got only it click face. There's a reporter or two out there contemplating, well what if this and what if that and Jeff McNeil's right. name comes up and he hits four hundred.
2: Right. I think it's unlikely because honestly if Tony Gwynn and George Brett, who's one of my favorite people ever um except in 2015 uh if they're not going to do it I I don't know who out of today's present crop of hitters will do it and maybe over 60 games he can do it I feel like if anyone can do it it's him but I just don't see it happening, and then can you even imagine okay let's let's say he hits four hundred in a sixty game season. What are we going to hear? It's not a legitimate four hundred because it's a sixty game season, just like we're going to hear if the Mets win the World Series, it's not a legitimate championship because it's a sixty game season. I'm already sick of hearing that. Um, I don't see it happening. I do think this is a legitimate season because we can only play the schedule we have, and we can only play the deal, you know, the hand that we've been dealt by COVID-19, so whoever wins, it's legitimate. It means you were best out of 30 teams over this season. Um, If Jeff McNeil hits 400, it's legitimate over this season. I just don't see it happening.
1: You've been listening to a Metsian podcast where pragmatism rules the day. (laughs) We're moving on to number 61 in Mets Mets history. Uh, It's a nice list, an interesting list, 10 players long, no coaches for a change, Uh, more popular than I thought it would be. All players minus one played after the year 2000. So uh, I'm sure you've done your homework, folks. Uh, Number 61. Rich, we'll start with you. Take it away. If anyone wants me to go through the list, I'd be more than happy to.
0: It's a, you know, it's an interesting list because um when you look at it, you know, the first thing that jumps out to me is Jesse Orozco. I right. don't remember him wearing sixty one at all. You know, nineteen seventy nine obviously uh, he wore it for a day, right? Four five seventy nine to four five seventy nine. So um, I don't remember that at all, and I guess when somebody wears a, a number for a day and it was 41 years ago, you have a right to forget, you know. So um, Jesse Orozco, uh, and then you look, you know, Ho Park, a lot of people forget that he was a Met, um, but remember he was really good with the Dodgers, and then he had some arm issues, and he came to the Mets uh, later in his career for another try. It didn't quite work out. Um, so Chan Ho Park's on there. Uh, Jeff Duncan I remember as a kind of a utility middle infielder Um, and then just a couple other names you know Chris Beck in 2018 when the Mets were running anybody and everybody out there to try to address bullpen issues Chris Beck was one of those guys Uh, Bobby Wall was a guy they I believe one of the guys they got for uh, Jerry's Familia when they traded him to Oakland and Bobby Wall blew his arm out he had a really heavy fastball and, and you know looked like he could strike some people out. He had some good strikeout numbers in AAA in the Oakland system. But then he he um, he got he had some arm trouble, and he's gone now. And then Walter Lockett is worth mentioning because he's the only one, you know, that I could see here that's still with the team. And his name gets thrown around for, you know, could he be a long man in the bullpen in the short season? If there's an injury, God forbid, if there's an injury to the pitching staff, you know, could Walter Lockett be a guy to slot in? Um, as we know, he hasn't been terribly successful. He has an 8.34 ERA. Um, his hits to innings pitched is, is pretty bad. You know, 22.2 innings pitched, 33 hits. So um, this is not a guy, you know, it, it, it's a difference between having depth and having good depth. You know, to me, you know, guys like uh, oh. Corey Oates, Walter Lockett, and Chris Flexen,
1: that's depth.
0: it's not good depth. <laughs> you have to be better than that. So let's just hope we don't uh, – what I'll say about Walter Lockett, sorry, man, but let's just hope we don't have to see you this year. We Wish I just have to run with it
3: right now. I, I, I have to run with it right now because these are the types of names I don't want us to be talking about. Once there's new ownership, the Walter Locketts, the Jack Egberts of the world, like, like I you know, seeing Shan Ho Park and Levon Hernandez not during their prime on these te- these these lists, you know, like, I understand that's kind of the foundation. that's a big part of what we talked about uh, this past episode with Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas was one of these types of players that we see throughout throughout Mets history where they they make their name somewhere else and then they come to the Mets for the Swan song. That's how they started their their uh, uh, foundation. That's how they started their entire Major League status. But I, I just, we, we have to move on from talking about Walter Rockets. I don't want to hear these names anymore. Like Fernando Nieves. I was talking about it earlier today. There's just like no more Corey Sullivans. Enough! We've got, like It's just, like, the Corey Sullivans of the world are the types that you like, hope can be like a Chris Woodward. But don't even come nearly Close and, and it's just like And that's what You know Seeing some of these names On the list You know it, it, This is what happens When you You know In 1979 that's When there were four to 500 people In the stands That's when Jesse Orozco Was wearing Number 61 So it's just like In the Bobby Wall uh, Story That we're talking about Yet another person Falling into the Daniel Herrera type To not really Give us much For some of these Veteran arms That we end up Trading during playoff runs so it's just like that's what we're looking to move past with this next ownership let's move past number 61
1: before we move past 61 Anna what say you
2: yeah so I agree I was thrilled to see Jesse O'Rosco on this list because otherwise I wouldn't really have anything to say about the others for the most part Um, and I'm, I'm trying to read like a little bit every night and I started that this week. So I picked up again, you know, the Mets book, the all time all stars book and Monday night I read a chapter and then I didn't read a chapter Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I picked it up again yesterday and read five chapters so I could kind of catch up. And Jesse Orozco was someone I read about last night. And I kind of forget how good he was because it was, you know, it was a long time ago. I forget how good he was, and I also forget how long of a career he had because once he was gone from the Mets, he went to several different teams. I don't really even remember him being on the Yankees. But he was he was just so much fun to watch, and, of course, 86, was such a pleasure and he had he played a big role in a lot of these um, you know the postseason games so to me he's the one that resonates most with me for number 61 seeing Chan Ho Park on this list and seeing Levon Hernandez on this list is kind of a reminder that they were even on the Mets um, I agree with Sam with new ownership I want to get past the free agency where we're always going for the D player versus the A player. Like we may see headlines that say the Mets are interested in Bryce Harper. And I always laugh at those headlines because I'm like, No, we are not. There is no way we're ever going to get close. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want Bryce Harper. But there was no way we were going to spend $300 million plus on a player, you know, for the A number one um, free agent that year. And we never are. And we haven't been in how long. Now, I was reminded in my phone call two years ago with David Newman that they have spent money. And he reminded me about Sfaspis and he reminded me about Beltron and again kind of forgot about it but he's right you know they have spent money on top players in the past but not not really lately and like Sam said I don't want to be hearing these names that we barely know because we need an owner that is going to spend and literally want to put a winning product on that team on that field every single day. <laughs> and look, like uh, I don't
3: mind like being the underdog, but the problem that Jeff Wilpon has, the problem that that the way he has operated his team is that he you know that and the players know that they're not the cream of the crop because the Mets don't go after the cream of the crop. So he brings an underdog shirt into the clubhouse to be like, "It's okay, we're going to get through this." It's just like it, it's it's not proper baseball operations and it I'm 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 looking forward to us judging a different operation and hopefully it's for the positive judgment as opposed to negative.
1: Looking forward. Agreed. Unless Me unless too. Anyone has, unless anyone has any outstanding issues, we will move on to our final word. Going once. Going twice. We will move on to our final word. Uh, First, Anna, I would like to thank you so very kindly for joining us this evening on a Met podcast. Before you get to your final word, I'm going to throw it to Rich, but first I'd like for you to give us another quick bio about what yourself, what you're doing.
2: Okay. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. So as you had said at the top of the show, I have a company, it's a marketing services company called Pinnacle Peak Marketing. And really simple, PinnaclePeakMarketing.com, and I just help companies with their marketing. I usually work with smaller and medium-sized companies who usually don't have a marketing department or have a marketing manager or marketing director. That's what I usually work with, but I work with all kinds of companies. And... um, I've been really busy even during COVID, so that's been good. And I'm happy to say that I've been able to survive this. So thank you. I do appreciate you letting me give a plug.
1: Without a doubt, I I wish you continued luck and and peace of mind out in Arizona. So, Rich, your final word, sir.
0: My word is real. Because the whole thing is about to get real. You know, one week from tonight, the Mets will have already played an exhibition game. They'll they'll probably, at this time of night, be playing their second against the Yankees. So it's happening, folks. You know, the the 2020 season is going to happen. Now, as we started with, will it finish? Will it finish looking like real baseball? I mean, will it have mostly AAA players? Don't know any of that. This is going to be a week-to-week proposition, but it's real. It's going to happen. And so what I do know is that again by a week from tonight there will be live baseball exhibition games on. So that's my last word is real because this thing is getting real.
1: Your final word, sir.
3: Just around the river bend. <laughs> it seems like uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're queuing in and getting excited about just the the home plate camera showing us interest squad games. I mean, I, I would totally watch orange versus blues right now. uh, If, if I had access to it and if they were presenting that to, to me, Um, I, I, you know, you don't realize how much you miss baseball until it's gone. And, you know, it's not like I haven't been watching it the same way that, that other people have on YouTube. So, um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this thing can get underway. Uh I will be even more hopeful once I see what Rich is talking about in one week. And uh we're going to have to, to figure out what what kind of schedule we're gonna have and, and maybe uh you know shameless plug will have to we'll have to talk a little baseball after Yankees Mets Subway series exhibition. And this is what's so interesting about this one is that it's kind of like, like the olden days where there were actual exhibitions going on in the ballparks of, of the teams uh, to finish out the spring year, and and they don't do that as much, even though they they you've seen it from you know here and there. But you know the Yankees and the Dodgers, and the Yankees and the Giants, they used to always play each other right before each win of their their own separate ways, not to meet till possibly the World Series. So uh, it's interesting to see that happening, and um, uh, I, I think it's both you guys. It's going to be happening at both Yankee Stadium and uh, City Field before the start of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's fun, and maybe we need to get a mayor's trophy involved here. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Uh, it's, it, it, it's fun. So let's, uh, you know, it, it's unprecedented times. Every every single day, you look around and you're like, oh my god, nobody's ever experienced this before. Take it in. It's it's bittersweet because it is history, and but the history unfolding is has made a lot of people sick. Um, but there's certainly something unique to it, so you just take it in and hope for the best.
1: So, Anna, on behalf of Rich and Sam, again, thank you for appearing on tonight's and podcast. You've become a good friend of the show. We appreciate you. You're time welcome. And your opinions. And that being said, your final
2: word. My final word is three words: uh, big market team. And there was a paragraph in one of the articles you had sent, which just made me laugh. And this is what I'm hoping for. So this is the paragraph. And it's not just the fans, one rival baseball executive said Thursday. We have learned to live with what the Yankees are as a part of our everyday business. I'm not sure anyone is quite ready for what having two teams acting like the Yankees in the same market might mean for the rest of us. I just got a big laugh out of that. And I kind of hope that we are considered like the major competition throughout the league from here on in, just like the Yankees. That's our goal. I think when we get new owners is that we put a really good team on the field every day.
1: Thank you, Anna. Uh, Very briefly, my final word is one I used earlier. Pragmatism. Let pragmatism rule the day. And that's it. I bid everyone safety, peace, and temperance. Come on. Let's uh, get through this together, folks. So on behalf of the Mets Podcast and Anna Bryce, thank you for your time this evening. Good luck, everyone. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay sane. And let's go Mets. Good night, everybody.
2: Let's go Mets. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night.